is going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your host, Daphne. And you're listening to Going West. So sorry for the minor delay on this episode. As you guys know, we were at CrimeCon over the weekend, but then we went to record it late you know, yeah. like later than usual, and there was a tree being cut down outside our studio window. It was a so. little bit busy this last week. But CrimeCon was so amazing, right? Oh, it was so fun. Got to le- meet a lot of great listeners, a lot of great podcasters, just great people all around. Yeah, so if you came, thank you so much. We genuinely had the best time talking to you guys. Some of you brought us some goodies, like, I'm so sad I forgot your name, but somebody brought me... A candle, a candle from, from Salem, Salem, Massachusetts, because she knew that I love Salem. So I'm so sorry I forget your name, but I seriously love you so much. And, and thank then, you, Rachel, for bringing yes. me booze yes. to the booth. I was sitting there uh, needing a drink. So thank yes. you so much for that for that beer. Yes, and Meg and Steph, everyone was so nice. Thank you, everybody who came by. We really, really appreciate you guys. And also, big shout out and thank you to Michael for suggesting today's case. That we are about to dive into. Right, this this case is a really sad one, but it led to a monumental change in how we identify bodies and prosecute repeat offenders. So at least some good came out of something that was so senseless. Absolutely. All right, guys, this is episode 197 of Going West. So let's get into it. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. In 1999, a 19-year-old woman was working an overnight shift at a Minnesota gas station when she was abducted from behind the counter. With the help of numerous tips, a clear suspect was uncovered, and thanks to NASA and a very specific dental filling, answers came to the case. This is the story of Katie Poyer. Kathleen Elizabeth Poyer, who went by Katie, was born on February 28, 1980, to parents Pam and Steve. And when she was born, she had a two-year-old brother named Patrick. And Katie was born in the port city of Duluth, Minnesota, located right on Lake Superior, which we touched on a few weeks ago in the Glen Sheen Mansion murders episode. Katie's father, Steve, was a biologist who owned an environmental consulting and testing company, and her mother, Pam, was a social worker. The family later relocated to Barnum, Minnesota, about 40 miles or 64 kilometers southwest of Duluth. Katie was an active, outdoorsy, and very upbeat teenager, and she's remembered by friends as having a mile-wide smile and a great zest for life. 
Her dad described her as a bubbly and very trusting person, so it's clear that Katie was very loved as much as she was loving. At Barnum High School, Katie was an honor student and in band and key club. And for those who don't know, key club is a student program where the members perform acts of service in their area, like organizing food drives, cleaning up parks, etc. So it looks great on a college application, but it also helps the community, so it's a win-win. Katie was also the runner-up in a beauty pageant competing for the title of Miss Barnum in 1997. Her mom said she loved French fries with ranch dressing, same, the soap opera Days of Our Lives, and Cabbage Patch Dolls. She was a very typical Minnesota kid growing up water skiing and fishing at the nearby lake, and she was a huge fan of the Green Bay Packers. She also loved animals, especially her two golden retrievers, Goldie and Riley. So after graduating from Barnum High School in 1998, 18-year-old Katie moved to an apartment in Moose Lake, Minnesota, with her boyfriend of two years, whose name is Mark Wilson. But Moose Lake was just an eight-minute drive from Barnum, so Katie was able to visit her parents pretty much daily. She had aspirations of becoming a police officer or a game warden, and if you guys don't know, basically a game warden is a law enforcement official that specializes in hunting, fishing, and boating laws, as well as wildlife conservation. So that fall, Katie began attending Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College in Cloquet, Minnesota, majoring in criminal justice. And around this same time, Katie's boyfriend Mike proposed, and she said yes. So with her being on her way to starting a life and career and being engaged to someone that she loved, it seemed like everything she wanted in her life was basically falling into place. So after her freshman year of college, Katie got a job at a convenience store called DJ's Expressway inside a Conoco gas station in Moose Lake. And this particular gas station was situated on Highway 73, which runs about 120 miles or 193 kilometers up through northeast Minnesota and right off the exit to Interstate 35, which runs all the way from Laredo, Texas, to Duluth. I think I said, did I say that right? Laredo? I think so. So it's basically a very long interstate like many of them are right. that travel from or through various different states. Exactly. Sorry for the long explanation here, but DJ's Expressway sat alongside a string of other gas stations and chain fast food restaurants, including a Subway sandwich shop adjacent to DJ's, which actually shared an internal door. Right. So basically, the important thing to know here is that there are other, you know, shops and gas stations, like you said, nearby businesses. Yeah, thank you. Um, But not very many. It's just next to a subway and it's right along an interstate. So it's right off the exit of an interstate. So there's a lot of travelers coming through here. It's not, you know, like a very small towny area. It's more so drifters, travelers, people just passing through. Right, so it saw, you know, its fair amount of activity here. So Katie and her mom had actually disagreed about the job as her mom worried about her safety working odd hours on her own, especially with drifters coming through this area. But with living away from home and her impending nuptials, Katie kind of wanted and needed the money. So on May 26, 1999, 19-year-old Katie went to work for her graveyard shift as usual, and she was alone there. Around midnight on May 27th, a customer at DJ's Expressway went inside to pay for a tank of gas. 
but they found the store completely empty. So nothing was out of place, all the lights were on, but it seemed abandoned. This person sensed that something just wasn't right, so she called 911. When police arrived on the scene to, you know, check things out, they found nothing out of the ordinary except for one missing cashier, Katie. But there was no sign of a struggle and no money was missing from the safe or the cash register. And actually, in a gesture of small-town goodness, customers had been leaving cash and post-it notes describing what they had taken, which is really awesome. So it kind of goes to show you there are some locals coming in. There are some people, obviously, of this town coming in, but also, like we said a hundred times, some drifters. Yeah. And it didn't take more than a cursory check of the property for police to find Katie's keys and sunglasses still inside, and her car was parked in the lot out front. Now, initially, they wondered if maybe one of Katie's friends had, like, scooped her up as a joke or a prank, but her family was sure that Katie would never have left the store unattended and unlocked, especially without notifying her supervisor first. I mean, she was responsible. This was a newer job. Like, she's not just going to go and do that. Yeah, and I don't know what kind of friends you would have to have (laughs) to literally, like, abduct you from your job while you're working. Yeah, while nobody else is on duty Yeah, and leaving the store completely empty. So next, of course, police visited Katie's fiancé, Mark, at their apartment, questioning him about her whereabouts and his potential involvement. But Mark had been home and hadn't heard from her. So police immediately put the word out that she was missing. Thankfully, there were four security cameras inside the store that they could check. And with no other leads, police reviewed the footage to piece together what may have happened. And what they found was the beginning of a nightmare. Now, Katie's shift seemed pretty uneventful and quiet at first. But at 11.32 p.m., she went into the back storage room to retrieve something. For a moment, the store was just empty. But then, just one minute later, at 11.33 p.m., a man entered the store. Katie resumed her post behind the counter as he wandered the aisles for about three minutes with the two of them chatting while he did so. Although the footage had no sound, investigators said that her body language seemed friendly and kind of relaxed, almost as if they knew each other, or at least she wasn't obviously put on edge by this person coming in. The man then exited the store, and Katie went back into the storage room to finish what she had been doing. But terrifying enough, just 10 seconds later, The man re-entered the store and cornered her in the back room where she was. What he did next was not caught on camera, but in that split second, things took a turn. The grainy security camera footage revealed Katie being escorted outside. He appeared to be holding her by the back of her neck as he marched her out to the parking lot. Her hands were clasped at the base of her neck, as if maybe he had wrapped a cord or rope around them. At 11.38 p.m., Katie Poyer was abducted from DJ's Expressway, and then the pair just disappeared. With no security cameras in the parking lot or on the exterior of the building, there was no indication which direction they had gone or what type of vehicle they'd left in. And being close to two major highways, her kidnapper could have taken off in any direction at a very high rate of speed. So investigators had nothing else to go off of 
except for the brief and fuzzy footage of this man who walked right in and just took her. And it must be so crazy, or it must have been so crazy to review this footage and just see this horrible situation unfold. But I can imagine that police were so thankful to have it because without this... We would have no idea. Yeah, it would seem like Katie just vanished from thin air since there was no signs of a struggle and nothing was missing. So after this occurred, after police saw this footage, a ground search of nearby greenery began immediately, with thousands of people helping to look for any sign of Katie on foot. Because, right, you know, remember, they, they don't know if she left in a vehicle or not. Right, good point, yeah. There's no footage gone, of that. Right, absolutely. And Moose Lake is a small community with only about 3,000 residents, but family, friends, neighbors, and very concerned citizens from towns nearby really rallied together to aid in the search. One of Katie's friends provided a crucial break in the case, and her name was Katherine Hannock. And she worked next door at the Subway Sandwich Shop connected to DJ's Expressway. Which, remember, they're not like in the same... They're essentially in the same building, but they, they have an internal door connected, but they're not like within the same room. Right. The morning after Katie's disappearance, Catherine Hannock gave police their first official lead. There had apparently been a man lurking around the property and acting strangely shortly before Katie's abduction. Special Agent Phil Hodap from the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, or MBCA, questioned Catherine in hopes of finding out more about this lurking man. So Catherine said that she had seen a man leering inappropriately at women going in and out of the subway and the convenience store. She said that it was clear that he had been drinking. When subway closed at 10 p.m., Catherine had gone next door to say goodnight to Katie before returning to her own shop to lock up for the night. And remember, Katie was abducted an hour and a half later at 11.38 p.m. This mysterious creep had approached to ask her if there was a bathroom that he could use, and Catherine directed him next door to DJ's expressway. After locking Subway's doors and walking to her car, he approached her again and asked if she was leaving for the night. Catherine recalls that she had responded pretty rudely to get him to leave her alone, so with that he backed off and retreated to his car which was a black Ford F-150 pickup truck. Just knowing, you know, the kind of guy that we're dealing with, the kind of guy that is haggling other people, it's interesting to know this, that she was very rude to him and then he kind of left her alone. Right. I mean, good, I'm, I'm glad that happened. Good for Catherine and that nothing happened to her, you know? See, so she essentially just told him to fuck off. Yeah. Like, Get out of here, man. Love it. So by happenstance, they left in the same direction and she had driven behind him for a while before he had turned off into a business parking lot and she had continued toward downtown Moose Lake. Uh, this also makes me wonder if he had felt like she was following him, you know, because he's obviously yeah. being a creep and he's doing something wrong. So I wonder if by her driving behind him for so long, if he was getting kind of sketched out, you Maybe, know? Maybe, yeah. I, won I wonder. So she happened to remember that the first three digits of his Minnesota license plate were 557, and that it also contained a Y. So this is really good eye obviously of her yeah. to be like, I'm going to get, I'm going to try at least to get most of that license plate. Right. And clearly she probably wasn't trying to re maybe remember it fully, but she had been driving behind him for a while. So she must've been glancing at it multiple times. This is amazing. Sure. 
So this was also back before vehicle records and registrations were digitized in a database though. So investigators had to print out results and notify law enforcement all over the state to question anyone whose car and license fit that exact description. Right, but what a great description she was able to give. So good on her. And how eerie that this man had asked if she was going to leave for the night because this ultimate would be or this ultimately would mean that um Katie who was next door would be in this area alone. Yeah, so this makes me think that he was trying to kind of gauge the situation. Yeah, like is why, she gonna why be would gone? you ask that? Yeah, is she going to be gone away from there mm-hmm. so that he can be a predator? Right, very creepy. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medications that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, just visit Juvederm.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volix XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment, no maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volix XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So the days began to pass and hope of finding Katie alive was dwindling because they did have this description of the car and of the man, which was great. But like Heath said, it was a very long and tedious process to try to figure out who this car belonged to and who this guy was. Yeah. Police were in agreement that it was likely an experienced sexual predator who had taken her. So they set their sights on that demographic. But to make matters much more difficult, there was a Minnesota sex offender program treatment center right there in Moose Lake. So the number of local sexual predators was abnormally high. Oh no, that just makes this entire scenario so much more horrifying. Yeah, it's so terrifying. And it also goes without saying that they had their work cut out for them with 
you know, since that's they were looking for sexual predators, and here's like a huge lot of them. Yeah, a list of them. Now, with the low quality of the images of her kidnapper and no leads or evidence, the outlook was pretty bleak. So police called in a favor with NASA. Ooh, interesting. Right? Solar physicist Dr. David Hathaway and atmospheric scientist Paul Meyer developed a process called VISER, or Video Image Stabilization and Registration. Based on trying to improve photos sent from space, this technique would stabilize grainy videos by adding together multiple frames. This type of technology is seriously groundbreaking stuff. Mind-blowing. So as Dr. Hathaway explains it, a video is comprised of two fields that make up one picture, but they change so rapidly that the human eye cannot detect it. And by combining the frames, he can stabilize fuzzy images into a clear depiction. And after removing some of the grain, detectives could establish some basic facts about the perpetrator, because this is exactly what they did. NASA looked at this footage, they worked on it, they were able to minimize the grain and stabilize the footage, and with that, police had a better description of this man. Now, he appeared to be a white man, about five foot ten, average build, with either blonde or gray hair, because the video is black and white, and he was wearing a Yankees jersey with the number 23 on the back. And it's so wild to me that they were able to do this back in 1999, but, I mean, I guess that wasn't that long ago, but still. Yeah. Just very, very impressive. And also the fact that they could gather that information from the video footage, because I watched it, and it's very hard to see. Like, you can fairly see, like, clearly he's forcing her out of the store, but it's not a very clear picture. And we did post the video on our socials if you guys want to check it out, because it's very interesting to see. You can see what's going on, but as far as his features, since the camera is from, like, the side slash back, or at least the one that you can see the best, it's it's not very, you know... It's hard to determine really yeah. anything. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. yeah, it's hard to determine, but they did. Yeah, so this was amazing. And Katie's story was featured on America's Most Wanted nine days after her abduction occurred, and hundreds of tips started to pour in. With what little visual description that they had to go off of, investigators put together a wanted poster and police sketch of this suspect. Word continued to spread about the case, and Katie's missing posters papered the area. And because of these efforts, police zeroed in on their first suspect, a man named Donald James Christensen. He had been called in as a tip because he had been in jail for a previous sexual offense, and he was released and in the general area at the time of Katie's abduction. However, he was a short-lived suspect because he had a large spiderweb tattoo on his left forearm that would have been visible in this, you know, security footage. But they didn't see this tattoo, so basically he was ruled out of having any involvement. Isn't that crazy how just a tattoo is like, yeah. oh, you're clear. Yeah, exactly. That's all they needed was a tattoo. Right, so very easy to rule him out. Three weeks after Katie's abduction, police received tip number 1,960. My God, yeah, that's so a lot of tips. Yeah, people call this tip um, 1,960 because this is a huge tip. The caller worked at the Minnesota Veterans Home in Minneapolis, and they explained that there was a janitor there who had just quit unexpectedly and happened to have changed his appearance around the time of Katie's disappearance. 
getting his hair or his haircut and shaving off his beard. According to co-workers, he had been acting strangely that week. The caller claimed that he had also been seen wearing a number 23 Yankees jersey to work on multiple occasions. So this is amazing of this person. They're like, I've seen a guy wear that jersey. He's He was also acting very strangely, and he changed his appearance. Like, great, great I just taking great tabs on I this just, guy. Yeah, I just feel like every witness in this entire case is just fucking superstars. Spot on. This guy's name was Donald Hutchinson. Not to be confused with the first man taken into custody that lovely Heath just explained to us, whose name was also Donald. <laughs> yeah. He's a different dude. This Donald, Donald Hutchinson, was 50 years old, married with four kids, and he resided in Richfield, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, which was about, you know, like a two-hour drive from Moose Lake. And he had actually been questioned before, like during this case, as an owner of a Ford F-150 pickup truck, the same vehicle that the perp supposedly drove. Donald's wife, Amy, had answered the door and apparently been cooperative, but consistent with vehicle records, had maintained that their pickup truck was white, not black, and that it had recently been sold. I will say, though, anytime somebody sells a vehicle and they're being questioned for a disappearance, I'm always very suspicious. Yeah, not to say that people can't sell sell their vehicles, but yeah, definitely. (laughs) They always can. (laughs) In in cases, it's just like it makes you suspicious. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's just like changing your appearance. It's like there's certain things or like going out of town. There's like a list. Just got them red flags, you know? Right. There's a red flag list. However, a quick search of Donald's records revealed some very chilling things about his past. Heath, take it away. So not only did Donald Hutchinson have an extensive criminal history, including kidnapping, sexual assault, and rape, his name wasn't even Donald Hutchinson. It was Donald Albin Blom, one of the multiple names that he used to avoid his sordid past from following him around to new jobs and relationships. So as far as investigators were concerned, this was definitely enough to search his Richfield, Minnesota property. So they got a warrant and they did just that. Meanwhile, Donald maintained his innocence and police found no trace of Katie even after an extensive search of his property. But in his garage, they did find a black Ford F-150 pickup truck with the Minnesota license plate 557HDY, matching Katherine Hannock's description exactly. Looking to save on delivery? DashPass is your door to $0 delivery fees and more on DoorDash. And right now, using code GOINGWEST24, you can get 50% off up to $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for DashPass. Subject to change, terms apply. Daphne and I use DoorDash constantly to order lunch or dinner or even groceries. And that's why we love using our DashPass. Because it's the most affordable way to get anything in your area delivered right to your door. I mean, come on. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average, making delivery even more worth it. And that's why we use it so often. And it also gives you special access to exclusive promotions and member-only menu items, all for just $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less. 
Sign up for Dash Pass today, only on DoorDash. Use code GOINGWEST24 to get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend $12 or more after signing up for Dash Pass. Subject to change, terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Before that break, we revealed that police had turned up the exact vehicle that Katherine Hannock had described seeing at the scene of the crime the night Katie went missing. Now, this black Ford F-150 had been tucked away in a garage on Donald's property, despite the fact that his wife had told police their F-150 was white and had been sold. Liar! Well, it turned out that the truck being registered as white was a clerical error. But I will say, if his wife had confirmed that it was white and that it was sold, she's still lying. She still said that it was sold, which it was not. Right, and it's black, and it's sitting in the freaking garage. So this was more than enough to indicate his involvement in Katie's disappearance. But with no hard evidence, a conviction would be tough. Also, this had just been the truck that Catherine had seen and followed when she got off work. Because as we mentioned, there was no footage of the car that Katie was taken in. So was this creepy guy even the same person? Like, this could have just been the guy that Catherine had seen. That doesn't mean he's connected to Katie's case. True, true. So they couldn't be sure of what the situation was just yet. But then investigators discovered that Donald and his family owned a 20-acre vacation property in none other than Moose Lake. Because remember, the property of his that was searched was about two hours away from Moose Lake in Ridgefield. So he has another property, and it's in the town where Katie disappeared. Exactly. So the fact that, you know, his family had this property in the same town Katie was taken from felt like a huge lead. Now, at first glance, it seemed like there was no definitive evidence at this property either. But when they found a fire pit and on a hunch sifted through the ashes, they found what looked like human remains. So with that, police collected the remnants that were then verified to be a mixture of human and animal bones and teeth. But were they Katie's? They didn't know quite yet. They tasked forensic anthropologist Dr. Susan Thurston Meister with identifying these remains. She started by distinguishing which remains were human and which were animal. And under a microscope, human bone cross-sections are circular and animal bones are linear. Some of the fragments were animal remains and some were so badly burned that it was impossible to tell. But of the human samples that she could identify, she was able to determine that the bone fragments belonged to a female between the ages of 17 and 24. And remember, folks, Katie was 19. Exactly. So in these fragments, Dr. Thurston Meister had also found a human tooth, which was then passed on to forensic odontologist Dr. Ann Norlander, who specialized in identification through x-rays. 
She determined that while the enamel was missing, the shape and size was consistent with Katie's lower left molar, called tooth number 18, and she also noticed remnants of a filling. Dr. Norlander then passed it off to a forensic scientist named Mark Nielsen, who analyzed the filling via a scanning electron microscope, and this determines which elements are present based on how they react with the electron beam. This part is so insane. Oh, so crazy. This was no ordinary filling. Mark found a high concentration of zirconium and silicon present inside of this filling. So in order to finally make the connection to Katie, authorities contacted her dentist, Dr. Melanie Meyer. Dr. Meyer had just replaced Katie's filling two weeks before her disappearance. She was using samples of a new dental bond given out at a dental conference that she attended, and this was called Relyx Arc, manufactured by 3M, which is a supply company based out of Minnesota. This product was not even on the market yet, and chemists at 3M confirmed the elements in their new dental bond were zirconium and silicon. So this is like one in a million here. Yes. Now on June 22nd, 1999, while returning home from a camping trip with his family, 50-year-old Donald Albin Blom was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of 19-year-old Katie Poyer. And this is so wild because, like you had said, the one tooth number 18 was consistent with her lower left molar, but still, the, you know, you can't really confirm that for sure just based on this one tooth if it belongs in her mouth. You know, that's kind of hard to do. So knowing that she had this very specific... Chemical bond. Yeah, in her tooth, this filling that was not on the market yet that her dentist happened to, like, use on her just two weeks earlier, that that is the way that they determined that this was her body that was burned on Donald's property is mind-blowing. And determined that he was the killer. Yeah, and just the details of how that was uncovered and all the work that was put into this is so just... Truly amazing. Fantastic. Donald initially did not put up a fight when he was arrested, but he refused to speak with investigators and requested the help of a lawyer. Of course he would. Piece right. of shit. <laughs> he was eventually held in solitary confinement, and because of that, he confessed with police claiming that he sounded calm and unapologetic. On the evening of Katie's abduction, which again was May 26, 1999, Donald had purchased alcohol from a liquor store nearby at 5 p.m. before heading to the Conoco station and setting his sights on Katie while ogling other women, including Katherine Hannock. He then went back to his Moose Lake property, which was 12 miles or 19 kilometers away, to change into what we now know was his number 23 Yankees jersey, which is a very specific thing to wear if there's cameras. Like, what What do you think? Most definitely, yeah. And that actually helped catch him because of the coworker that had said, oh, and he was wearing this jersey. Right, it's like, not like he was wearing like a black sweatshirt. Yeah, this picking this outfit did not help him. So after he changed, he headed back to the Conoco gas station to kidnap Katie. He said he'd brought her to his vacation property choked her to death from behind, and then burned her remains. But two weeks later, he recanted his confession, right, Heath? Of course he did. Oh, God. Claiming that it was coerced, but the jury was not having it. 
On September 8, 2000, nearly 16 months after Katie's murder, Donald was convicted unanimously and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Throughout the trial, he was angry and hostile, even at one point yelling and cursing at Katie's mother, Pam Poyer, telling her, you have the wrong fucking guy. No, no, we don't. Like, how do we have the wrong guy? I'd love to know what he thinks. Yeah. Due to this, court had to be adjourned, you know, due to him, due to this... Outburst, yeah. Yes, yes. Court had to be adjourned for 40 minutes for Donald to kind of maintain his composure. He was that upset that... It's like, and I love this, because it's like, you're such an asshole... And you're making a scene, but guess what? You're still going to prison. Well, this is what's annoying to me is that I hate, you know, any case where somebody is wrongfully accused or wrongfully imprisoned, very upsetting. But to me, this case is not one of those where I have any doubts. No, there's evidence. Her remains were in your fire pit. You have the same outfit and look and description as the man in the video. You have the same car as was described at the scene. Right, it was identified. Hello, also... You know, the fact that he had a past history of rapes, sexual assaults, kidnappings. Like, you're a bad dude already. Yeah. No, and get this. So Donald was also called the most hated man in all of Minnesota by his own attorney. That says a lot. That says a lot. Yeah. Donald's wife, Amy, initially testified on his behalf, claiming that he had arrived home around 9.30 p.m. on the night of Katie's abduction, and that after watching some TV... He had gone to bed as usual about an hour later. She said he was also up early the next morning and had left her a fresh pot of coffee and that the timing didn't add up. So there was no way that he could have committed this heinous crime that he was accused of. So she's backing him up, you know, obviously. Just like she lied about the truck. Right. So Donald and Amy also agreed that he had never owned a Yankees jersey, but Donald's brother claimed that he had given Donald a box of his old clothes, which included the number 23 jersey. So he's like, oh yeah, I never I never bought a number 23 jersey. Yeah, but your brother gave you one. Which makes me wonder if he did put on that jersey to kind of throw people off because it's not something he wore. But then again, the co-worker said that they had seen him wearing it, so maybe he did wear it. Yeah, kind of weird here. So after he was sentenced, Amy wrote Minnesota state legislators claiming that she was afraid of what he would have done to her had she not testified for him, and that he had been abusing her for the last seven years of their marriage, a claim which was corroborated by the couple's children. So the children were like, yeah, my dad has been abusing my mom. I'm not surprised. So if this is true, you know, us saying that she was lying, of course, if she was lying because she was afraid, I completely understand. And, you know, definitely not trying to call her out or say she's a liar, because if she did this out of fear then that's a different thing. So that it does seem like that was the case, though. So um, I just wanted yeah. to kind of clear the air there. I mean, it makes sense. She definitely should have told the truth when she had the opportunity, but, you know, I can, I can see it from that side as well. So she also told them that when they got married, Donald asked to legally take her last name instead of the other way around, which she found progressive and flattering but later realized that it was so that he could add yet another alias to his arsenal of fake identities. And a little background on Donald, so you know what a real piece of shit he was. Donald grew up abused by his father, which is horrible, but not an excuse to murder people. 
By the time he was a teenager, he was drinking and exhibiting major behavioral issues, badly enough that he was transferred to a reform school, or a school I guess you could say for troubled kids, during his sophomore year of high school. Years later, in 1975, at 26 years old, he kidnapped and raped a 14-year-old girl. He had her locked up in his car trunk, but she was able to escape and eventually testified against him. Yeah, he probably would have killed her if she was if she didn't escape. He was 26 and she was 14. Yeah. Come on. Eight years later, in 1983, a then 34-year-old Donald held two young women at knife point and tied them to a tree, shoving socks in their mouths, choking and reviving them repeatedly, and then threatening to rape them. Thankfully, they were found before anything else happened, and he did serve jail time for that crime as well. And as horrible as these crimes all are, those are just a few of the charges on his rap sheet. A psychologist once proclaimed that if he were not locked up or at least monitored closely, he would continue to do worse and worse things. It had been speculated that he may have committed more deaths than just Katie's, or more murders, we'll say, and may be responsible for some of Minnesota's unsolved murders, including another 19-year-old woman named Holly Spangler, whose decomposed body was found in a park in Bloomington, Minnesota in 1993, so about six years earlier. And guess what? Donald lived nearby at the time. There was also Wilma Johnson, who was strangled and left near the St. Paul Cathedral in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1983, so 10 years before Holly's murder. And Donald even admits to having been at the scene of the crime for this case, and yet he won't admit involvement. So he literally is saying that he was there, Yeah. but he's saying he didn't do it. Yes, which is why there's so much suspicion that he did murder other young women throughout his life. Exactly. He also told police that he once killed a man near the St. Paul High Bridge, but no body was ever found. So agents from MBCA, which again is the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, are still just chipping away at him and trying to uncover what else this horrific guy did. In 2006, he told investigators he was ready to talk, but instead use the time to try to broker a transfer to a different jail. So he seems, he's just one of those guys that's like, oh yeah, I'll give you details if you give me what I want, and then just doesn't talk. Yes, totally. Biggest, biggest asshole. So after (laughs) being convicted of killing Katie, he was locked up at a maximum security prison for violent felons in Pennsylvania. However, as the years wore on, he was eventually transferred to a much lower security prison Donald himself described as a retirement home. Makes me mad. More than a decade after his conviction, news anchor Bob McNanny from Channel 5 Eyewitness News in St. Paul met with Donald in person and reported his findings directly back to the Poyer family, who petitioned his removal. And thus, he was transferred back to a maximum security prison. So it's like... They, they probably weren't happy that he was in a lower security prison because he's such a dangerous guy. He doesn't deserve to be in a quote-unquote nicer prison. Yeah, or quote-unquote retirement home prison. Right, because yeah. if you're going to call it that, it's probably not that bad. Yeah. So in the aftermath, a lot of good came out of Katie's murder. Though we all wish that this crime and any other ones that Donald committed or planned to commit in the future never occurred. It's always really bittersweet 
you know, more bitter when good things come out of murder cases because it's like, oh, this is so great that change happened, but it's like, why did somebody have to die for it to, for for it to be this way? Yeah, yeah. It, it just it's so terrible. So Minnesota passed Katie's law, which includes stiffer penalties for convicted sex offenders and mandates better ways to track past offenders. Since Katie had been working alone that night, Conoco gas stations were fined heavily in a lawsuit and now require two workers per shift. So that's actually amazing. I I love that. And let me just say really quick, sorry. I think I've talked about this in a previous episode, how it makes me so uncomfortable when, when young women are working late at night by themselves. You know, like I, I used to work at a cupcake shop and I would have to close as a teenager by myself at night. And I remember I got haggled in an alleyway next to my job where this guy cornered me asking me for money and I was all by myself. And so I always felt so uncomfortable. Like, why is this a thing? Yeah. That, why so, Why wasn't there another coworker there, you know, yeah, with you? Especially in a place where, you know, it's a gas station where anybody can come through. There's a lot of drifters. There's no outdoor cameras. So uh, this is great that they made this change. But again, I wish it was would have been like that in the first place. Yeah. I wish that they had made that change before Katie's murder. Because I wonder what the difference would have been if, if she had somebody there with her that night. Yeah, definitely. So Katie also received an honorary degree from her alma mater, Fond du Lac Tribal and Community College, and a scholarship was established in her memory for hopeful law enforcement students, and a victim's advocate group was founded in her name. So a lot of really great things here. The superintendent of the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, Drew Evans, stated, quote, out of that tragedy, a lot of advancements have come, and we'll continue to see more. Katie's dad told Press that no matter how much time passes, it just never gets easier. Her dad eventually went back to work and still owns his company based in Superior, Wisconsin. Katie's brother Patrick went to work alongside his dad and also planned on attending the same school as Katie. He's now married with four kids, including three daughters, and says that he sees a little bit of Katie in each of them. The really sad thing about this case is that there's way more coverage on Donald than there is of Katie and what she was like, you know, who she was, and her contributions to the world. Because of her, her mom said, the system cannot fail another family again. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Sorry the uh, episode came out late, but you guys will have another one on Friday to dive into. Indeed. This case, I'm, I'm so glad that it was solved. And like we've said that, that things have changed. But what a senseless case. Like he just abducts her from her job and then just murders her and burns her remains. And like, what? Why? I know. Like, it's... He's just such a violent dude. Yeah, he should. Obviously, he's never going to get out. Um, but yeah, it's just so senseless and it's so tragic for her, for her family and her friends. But I'm so glad that all these different changes were made, like you said. Yeah, I agree. So our hearts really go out to our family. Thank you guys so much for listening to this one. Again, thank you, Michael, for suggesting it. Also, we're three episodes away from 200. Woo! I think we're going to do, I don't know, a lot of you guys have asked for a Q&A. We haven't done a Q&A in a long time. So let us know if you're into that, you know, alongside kind of a more special episode for our three-year anniversary, we did do that Ruth Price 911 call, 
which was super interesting and fun. Um, if you haven't listened to that one, go listen because our listeners literally solved that case and we did an update and it was wild. So go check that one out. I think we're going to try to do something a little different for uh, episode 200, but let us know if, if you have any ideas. So not to say that we're just going to do the Q&A. We are going to do, do a case. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's yeah. what I mean. Is just like, alongside do, the case, we'll yeah, do a Q&A. Like maybe do a kind of different case like we did with Ruth Price, potentially, but still true crime and then do a Q&A as well. <laughs> yeah, so let us know if you guys have any suggestions. We'd really love to hear what you guys want to hear. Yes, thank you guys so much again. We love you. We love you for all the reviews, all the kindness, all the sharing. It means the world to us. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.